Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us to listen to this message. Whoever you are and wherever you're listening from, we trust that you'll be equipped, envisioned and encouraged as you listen today. Moving towards the end of our Cross and the Crown series, we, uh, we're trying to get this finished and wrapped up by the end of uh, this year. And we're in this final phase, looking at what the scripture says about the end times, about the return of Jesus, and about the age to come. And we had a bit of a gap last week because we're all together at Momentum. But if you cast your mind back a fortnight, you'll remember that David was here. And he introduced this subject to us and brought us a great introduction. And, um, and next week, we've got Richard Jones with us, who's going to speak further about the return of Jesus, if Jesus hasn't already come, and, um, and, and all that we can expect on that great and awesome and terrifying day. You know, we want to make sure that whatever we teach when we're together like this we put salvation through Jesus and the mission that he gave us front and centre. That's really important to us. It's, it is all about the mission. You know, I was really blessed last week when we all got to um, Momentum and we were given a little brochure talking about the things that are happening within the church. And on the front cover it said, Mission Update. It is all about the mission. It was a great brochure and lots of nice pictures of people we know and lots of great things going on. But it's not an opportunity for navel-gazing. This is the mission. It was a mission update. Everything we do has to be through the lens of the mission. You know, we believe that we are here as a body of believers in Market Harbour to carry the name of Jesus to Market Harbour and beyond. And we know that as we do that, we're going to be empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit who will give us everything we need. That's the mission. And as we consider further today what the Bible says about the last days and the return of Jesus, we're going to do that through the lens of mission. It is all about the mission. Jesus is coming back. I'll just say that again. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when, but we do know that he is coming back. It may be very soon. Our question today is how should we live in the light of the return of Jesus? How should we be living? How should we be found? How we live as people who call ourselves followers of Jesus is really important. When we talk about repentance and coming to Christ, we often talk about repentance as being heading in one direction, a direction that doesn't please God, but an about turn and a walking in a different direction and a walking in all the truth that, that God has for us. It's a different trajectory. It's a different course based on all that Jesus says and all that um, is written about the way we are to follow him in the word. And therefore, when we're coming to answer that question, how should we live in the light of the return of Jesus, our starting place has got to be the word of God. And uh, today we're going to read what Jesus himself 
said about his second coming. So if you've got your Bibles, perhaps you can flick to Matthew uh, chapter 24. And we're going to dip in today to some of the things that Jesus said about himself and some illustrations that he gave in Matthew's, uh, Matthew chapters 24 and 25. We're not going to read the whole lot in one go, but rather we're going to read a, a, a little chunk and then just expound that uh, as we go. These two chapters are predominantly Jesus speaking to his disciples. And chapter 24 starts with Jesus stating all the things which will occur before he returns. He says that there will be, and this is verses uh, 4 to 14, there will be false teachers. There will be wars and threats of war. There will be nations rising against nations and kingdoms rising against kingdoms. You know, I think some of that is spiritual as well. It's not the kingdoms we can see, it is the kingdoms we can't see. There will be famines and earthquakes. There will be persecution of believers and even martyrdom. There will be rampant sin. And there will also be the good news of Jesus preached all over the world. We can look around our world right now, can't we? And look at that little description of the things that Jesus said will occur before he returns. And we can start to take them off. He says this to let his disciples know that there are things which must happen before his return, but that there will be no doubt when he does actually return. He will not return quietly. He's not going to return in secret. If you skip down to verse 26, he says, so if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't believe it. That won't be the Messiah. Jesus isn't going to come secretly and in such a quiet way that it's kind of word of mouth to work out he's actually returned. Jesus is going to return gloriously and noisily. It says, verse 30, the Son of Man will come on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, with a mighty angelic trumpet blast. We are all going to know when Jesus is returning. So the first chunk of scripture we're going to read is going to start at verse 36. Of Matthew 24. So I shall read uh, initially verse 36 to 42. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realise what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. So Jesus there is talking about his return and the coming judgment as being 
like it was in, in Noah's day. He says there will be people and they'll be living just as they choose, without any care for God. Judgment will be coming, but people will either be unaware of it or just not heeding the warning of coming judgment. Some even laughing at the prospect of judgment coming. In, uh, in 2 Peter we read, it talks about Noah a little bit, and it talks about how he warned the world of God's righteous judgment, but that the people scoffed, him, scoffed at him and, and laughed at him and thought, well, how crazy. In the time of Noah, the unrighteous were swept away. Yeah. Only Noah and his family, and Noah is described in Genesis as being a righteous man, only Noah and his family survived the flood and remained in order to inherit the new earth. The coming of Jesus will be sudden and it will separate people. Verse 40, two men working in a field, one remains, one is taken. Two women grinding flour, one remains, one is taken. Judgment is real. So how should we live in the light of this? Let's just pick up a little bit uh, verse 42. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. How should we live in the light of this? Well, first of all, watchfully. Not complacently. And, and I say this because it is easy, even for us as believers who know that Jesus is coming, to be complacent, isn't it? it it's, it's easy to, to be so caught up in our stuff and the things of the day that the prospect of Jesus returning is just not even on our radars at all. But we must be people who are watchful. We must be people who are like Noah. Let's be like Noah. You see, Noah... He was building something. He, he was literally building something. But he was building something. In his day, he believed that judgment was coming. He believed God. He warned others. He obeyed God. His building literally took him decades. But he persisted. He didn't forget what God had said. He hadn't forgotten what God had said about his coming judgment. He hadn't forgotten what God had said about warning people. Noah building the ark was his life's work. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Mm -hmm. It was an action. He was being watchful. But being watchful wasn't a standing and looking out. His being watchful was an action. In Noah's case, it was building the ark that God had told him to build. So let's be a watchful people, believing God. People who are building something, and for us, it's in this town. That's our mission. Let's be people who are full of action, ready at all the time. Let me ask you this, as I ask myself this. Would it matter if Jesus came this week? Would it matter to you and to me, if Jesus came this week. I mean, what about the stuff we want to do? What about the places we've arranged to go? 
Are there things we'd need to put right if we knew Jesus was coming this week? I mean, if we knew Jesus was coming this week, would our spiritual disciplines change? Are there things we'd want to be found doing when Jesus returns? This is the big challenge for me. Are there people we'd want to tell if Jesus was coming this week? That is enormous, isn't it? What if Jesus comes this week? Does it matter to us? Are there people we really should be telling? If we knew Jesus was coming on Thursday, you know, what would we do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Jesus goes on by talking about what it will be like when he returns. So we're going to pick this up now at the start of Matthew 25. And this is um, probably headed in your Bible, the parable of the bridesmaids or the ten bridesmaids or sometimes the ten virgins. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil, because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough oil for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went inside with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. At its most simple level, this is a parable about being ready. About being ready because there will be no time to make any last-minute preparations. It says the unprepared will be shut out of the banquet. There are some important things for us to acknowledge in the uh, symbolism within this parable. And I think that could be really helpful to us. The idea of a wedding feast uh, being prepared makes us think immediately of those words in Revelation 19 when it speaks of the wedding feast of the Lamb. That is Jesus and his bride, that's the church, which is to be joined to him for all time. In this parable, the bridegroom is Jesus. All ten bridesmaids know that the bridegroom is coming and all ten have their lamps ready for when the bridegroom arrives. The bridesmaids described as wise 
has, have both their lamps and plenty of oil. These wise bridesmaids are people of word and of spirit. Yes. Psalm 119, verse 105, a verse we probably know well, says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The idea of oil being a symbol of the Holy Spirit and his anointing is also well grounded in Scripture. In, uh, in the Old Testament, when, when Samuel uh, anoints David, he anoints him with oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. If you take in notes, 1 Samuel 16. Samuel anointed David with oil, and the Holy Spirit came upon him. In Luke chapter 4, we read about Jesus declaring the words of Isaiah about himself, saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. You know, there's an anointing which makes us think of the oil of anointing and then the powerful life the Holy Spirit gives as a result of an anointing. Acts chapter 10, it talks about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So whilst we're not saying that every reference to oil in the Bible is a symbol for the Holy Spirit's involvement, we are saying that every reference to anointing implies either a plea for the Holy Spirit to to act, so in, in healing or in consecration, or a revelation of the Spirit's presence to empower individuals. So therefore, we need to be like wise bridesmaids, people who have the lamp, the word of God, and the spirit, the oil of the Holy Spirit. You see, what the oil does is it it causes the word to be illuminated. It causes the lamp to work. It causes the lamp to function. When we read the New Testament, we see that the normal Christian life is a life full of and driven by the Holy Spirit. That's the example. That's what's laid out for us. It is is what happened when people came to know Jesus as Saviour and they were baptised in the Holy Spirit and and they were full of the power of the Holy Spirit just as it is for us today. Having the word of God is great, but uh, but without the Holy Spirit bringing life, it can appear dry to us. Perhaps you yourself have been baptised in the Holy Spirit and have gone from reading your Bible like it was in black and white to like it's in full colour. You know, That's the illumination of the Holy Spirit revealing God's truth to us. So how should we be living in the light of Jesus' return? We need to be alert, and we need to be people of the Word, and people who are full of the Holy Spirit. You know, this parable states that there will be people who fully expect to be at that great wedding feast, but who are shut out. In the parable, it's the foolish bridesmaids. You know, it is possible even today for people to know the way of salvation, but never to do anything about it. They may be people who have been brought up in a Christian country. They may even go to church on occasions. They may even be regular church attenders. But it's possible, you know, to follow a religious pattern which can look okay from the outside, but God sees through it all. 
in the book of Isaiah, chapter 29, God is saying about the children of Israel, it says, the Lord says, these people say they are mine. They honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. That's really damning, isn't it? What condemnation. How easy it is for people to be doing things which they claim are honouring God because they are going places and whatever. But actually God sees through that. He goes, I know where your heart is. You know, I believe there are people in churches today who will not be in the great wedding feast of the Lamb. But you know, he also says in Ephesians chapter 5, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. So whilst we're told about foolish bridesmaids, God says, no, no, you live like wise people. You live like people who are awake, people who are alert, people who are ready, people who have the word of God in their hearts, people who are full of the Holy Spirit. Let us live like wise bridesmaids. Let's look at the third illustration Jesus gives. And we're going to turn to Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. So this might be in your Bible as the parable of the three servants. Sometimes it's called the parable of the talents. If you're really, really old, you might know it as the parable of the miners, which has nothing to do with coal miners. It's, uh... But when, when Jesus told this story, he was talking about, he, he was talking about um, talents, which was a weight of precious metal. Okay. It's very difficult to say today what that weight of precious metal would be worth, but it's something in the region of a talent being worth a quarter of a million pounds. Okay? So, yeah, a lot of money. Not an insignificant amount of money to be entrusted with. Here we go, let me read. Verse 14, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. 
The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came in and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I'd lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have earned some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this is another parable of Jesus. It's a story to illustrate the point he's trying to make. And it's a simple story that's told here. A man preparing to leave on a journey entrusts his possessions to his servants. He distributes his wealth to his three servants in proportion to their abilities. They're not all receiving the same measure. And to the first, he gives the five bags of silver. The second, the two bags of silver. To the last one, one bag of silver, and that guy goes and digs a hole and buries it. Yet on the face of it, it's quite a funny story. When the master returned, the first two were eager to tell, uh, to tell the master what they had done, what they'd achieved. Look, here's your money, I've invested it, I've doubled uh, what you gave me. And they were con- um, commended as being good and faithful. They were given increased responsibilities. They were invited to share in their master's joy. But the dealings with the third servant were very different. The servant came to his master with only the money he'd originally given to him. In fact, you know, if this was to happen today, with inflation taken into account, he would have handed back a return that was worth less than when it was given on day one. This servant offered a feeble excuse for his conduct. He told his master that he was a harsh and cruel man, a man who was demanded, demanding and expected gain where he'd not laboured. And he contended that this was why he was afraid to take a risk with any kind of investment. And now he returned it without any kind of gain. And the master rebuked this servant for being evil and lazy. And he took the money from him and gave it to the one who had earned ten and cast his servant into outer darkness where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. What a strange thing to say in a parable. But you know, Jesus is referring to eternal punishment. Heaven and hell are both real. And Jesus isn't mincing his words when he tells what is on the face of it quite a funny story to make his point here. 
So, so then, how should we be living in the light of Jesus' return? We should be people living by investing the deposit that God has already placed within us. Whether our measure is large or smaller, Jesus is teaching us that it really matters what we do to all that he's entrusted to us. You know, we're not called as his followers to hide all that we've inherited in him. As his followers, we've not received just the greatest prize on earth. An inheritance of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Just as Simon read earlier when he read the scripture. We haven't received that to say, fine, I'm going to dig a hole. I'm going to bury it deep down and no one's going to know it's there. That's not what Jesus calls us to at all. We're not called as believers to retreat to the safety of churches. Where we can do our thing and it's very nice, but has no impact on anybody else at all. You know, churches are not warehouses for Christians. They're not places where where Christians get stacked up waiting for Jesus to come or for us to die. That's not what the church is about at all. We're to invest and invest seriously the deposit that Jesus has placed within us. And you know, this applies to all that God has given us. It applies both to our eternal inheritance in Jesus, which should spur us on to make his name known among the people we live near and the people we work with and the people... Uh, in whose social circles we move. But, you know, it also applies to our resources, to our stuff, our money. It applies to our time. It applies to our possessions. You know, we believe that everything comes from God. And our money and our time and our possessions, these are the tools that God has blessed us with to carry out the mission. They're not separate compartments of our lives. So all that God has given us, both a spiritual inheritance and everything that he's blessed us with materially on earth, are to be dealt with in a righteous way. It really matters to God how we use our stuff, how we use the things which he first of all has given to us. And I was trying to sum up for us this morning how we do this and, and how I can encourage us all to live in the light of this truth. And I was drawn to words that Paul wrote to Timothy. And when Paul wrote this, he was in prison in Rome at the time and he was near the end of his own ministry. He would, he would uh, be killed not long afterwards. And he wanted to encourage Timothy, a man to whom Paul was a spiritual father. So perhaps we can turn to this together. It's 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 3 to 14. And I kind of want us to finish with this this morning because this sums up so much of what I've already said about the way that we should be, we should be living. So verse 3. Timothy, I thank God for you 
the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I know this same faith continues strong in you. This is an instruction for Timothy and an instruction for us as well. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love and self-discipline. So, never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he's made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus our Saviour, He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle and a teacher of this good news. That is why I'm suffering here in prison, but I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust. And I'm sure that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him, or some translators would say, or what has been entrusted to me, until the day of his return. Just read that again. I'm sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him and what he has entrusted to me until the day of his return. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. A word for us again. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Amen. What great words. So Jesus is coming back. Still. He's coming back for his church. We should be a watchful people. We should be people who are alert. We should be people who are about his mission. We should be people who are actively building something. Actively building something with our lives. And, you know, I believe in this setting, we are actively building something with our lives. This is why we've been called and joined together by God. I believe that. That is what we're building together. Be ready and alert as people of the word and people who are full of the Holy Spirit. Let's be competent investors of all that God has deposited into us, making the most of every opportunity in these days. Amen. Amen. Why don't we stand together? So, Father, we want to declare the truth this morning of your word 
over our lives. Jesus, we want to thank you, first of all, that you are coming back. And you are coming back for a bride which is being brought to maturity. A bride which to you will be beautiful on the day of your return. We thank you, Jesus, that we are part of your church. But we thank you for your word over us as well, that we should be watchful and not complacent. We want to thank you that you've called us on your mission together. And I want to ask, Holy Spirit, that today you stir up within us the um, activity that is needed, both spiritual and physical, in the light of your coming. Jesus, we're challenged by the thought that if you came this week, what do we need to change? And Holy Spirit, would you stir up in us now the boldness and the confidence and, uh, and all that we need in order to stand in the truth of your soon return and to tell the people who need to know. Would we be people who are found to be full of your word and full of the Holy Spirit, a people who know the illumination of your word and how we're to act that out in our lives. We thank you that you don't give your people a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of great power. And we ask for that today. Father, would you give us great power? Would we know great things happen? Would we know a great experience of your nearness and your presence with us as we minister to people across this town and and further afield? And we want to thank you for all that you've invested in us. We thank you that we have a true and a real and an everlasting spiritual inheritance in Christ Jesus. Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But thank you what you've entrusted to us. And and we want to ask that we are good investors of what you've given to us. that we are people in the day-to-day who are multiplying that deposit you've placed within us in order that on the day you return, Lord Jesus, there is an increase in your church, in this town of Market Harbour, because we've been wise and careful investors of all that you've entrusted to us. And we want to ask this in your mighty and your wonderful and your beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. There's so much going on at Living Rock Church and we'd love for you to be involved. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching. Visit www.livingrock.church or search for us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.